Hi everyone, Josh and Ryan here. Welcome back to the Supercent Podcast, the personal development podcast hosted by the youngsters for once. Research shows if you put a hundred random people in a room, somewhere amongst them, there will be just two truly incredible, inspirational people who are living their lives to the fullest. In this podcast, we bring those exact people to you, week in and week out. Join us on our journey as we learn the secrets, routines and dreams of the two percenters. Okay, so today we're joined by Louis Sutton. Louis, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Very excited to be here. No, it's going to be good. Right, so to begin with, please could you give uh, the listeners a quick overview of yourself and what you've been up to the last few years? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, my name's Louis Sutton. Uh, I suppose started X University, Economics, Politics, Computer Science. Um, some of my first year, did some work for a company called Tilt, which was a payments fintech. Probably doesn't sound very exciting, but I'm a super nerd, as hopefully you'll find out for the next hour. So, <laughs> absolutely loved it. Um, so, did some work for, for Tilt over the course of the year. That was in between London, San Francisco, and up and down the UK. So, set up a student ambassador campaign to get people using this payments app on campus. That sold to Airbnb at my end of my first year. So, second year, I was kind of bored, stuck with things to do. Started my own kind of mini growth consultancy. Um, was quite lucky, got some interesting clients. So, Monzo is an example of one of those. Um, Bubo would be another, and kind of 10, 15 others. Uh, my third year, kind of very entrepreneurial focus, tried to set up a couple of things and then worked. Um, but uh, again, like very much continued on this chasm of fintech. I suppose personal branding was another thing I was interested in. So um, after university, went to a uh, challenge bank called Starling Bank, which is a rival of Monzo. Was there for four or five months. Started a, a little newsletter um, called The Grapevine, which some of you might have heard of. And then um, moved over to Accenture. I've been with Accenture 15 months, absolutely loving it. Working on loads and loads of other stuff. So entrepreneur and fintech enthusiast, is that a fair? Something, something like that. that. Your words, not mine. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so <laughs> let's... let's um, Let's go back to, let's start at the university days and the, and the entrepreneurship. I'm quite interested in that growth consultancy. So so how did that start and how did you attract clients like Monzo? Mm, yeah, so I suppose the consultancy itself sort of came back by accident. So to give you a little bit more detail about what we were doing for, for Tilt, so Tilt, this payment startup I mentioned, was basically a really, really easy way for you to pay someone. Um, that was it. But they saw this really good use case of houses, you know, houses at university, people mm. in halls, societies, all that sort of stuff. Um, so the company did really well, raised $70 million. So it was a big operation, but what my sort of role there was helping them spread it to that student community. So when Tilt sold to Airbnb, I thought, right, I've, I've gained all this knowledge, capital, right? I've learned all this stuff. I think it's really cool. And I always think other companies could, could maybe do with some of this. Um, and again, that was just kind of an opinion, but I thought, why not test it out? Literally, I like, cold emailed like 10, 15 companies like, hey, well, not cold actually, these are products I use that I thought my friends should be using. So like, hey, I use your product. I think it's really awesome, genuinely. This is what I like about it. Um, do you want to chat more students? Because that's something I've done before and um, loads of people have been really interested. Okay. So how did, did you say it was through email or phone calls? Um... So I think, Sent out some, I sent out some initial just cold emails just to kind of a sense check are people bothered about this at all Yeah, uh, and they were and then from that point on it was kind of the clients I got were, were a result of networks I'd leveraged mm-hmm. so you know friends of mine say oh my mate's brother yeah, or whatever yeah. just set this up 
you should do it, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you should speak to him, speak to her, that sort of thing. So what happened to this this consultancy now? Because that sounds like a good business in its own right. So how, how did you leave that and then join Accenture? Yeah, good question. So I think um, I've always tried to... I've always tried to kind of approach my career in a sort of generalist manner. Like, I enjoy being a generalist and I enjoy doing loads of different things. And the specific thing we were selling, if you like, was essentially a formula with how you get students to use it. Like, me and my friend had kind of developed this five, six-step process. We were like, if you do these six things at this volume in this order, you'll get people using your product. So it's kind of a bit repetitive. And the formula was really good and it worked. Worked really well for Monzo, worked really well for Uber and a couple of other you know small companies we did it for. But I just wanted to experience elsewhere, to be honest. Um, does, that, does that answer your question? That makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, so was the was there a trade off there where you were thinking like this could be this is successful enough for me to do this full time, or was it sort of a nat- came to a natural end for you to move on to Accenture? That's a very good question. So I, I wound it down specifically. It wasn't it wasn't a natural end. Um, I'm just trying to give that's such a good question. I've never really thought about that. Yeah, so yeah. having someone ask me is interesting. I think it came to a natural end, but for me, if I'm honest, as it evolved, I never really saw it as I've set up a business. Yeah, it was just like I'm helping another company do this thing. So you know, um, it was in amongst studies. It was in amongst like other little projects I had going on, and I suppose only retrospectively do I realise. I actually had a little weird business going. Yeah. It was, you know, d- doing doing quite well for you know someone that was twenty. Um, but but I ne- I saw it more as a hobby than a business. Actually, if I'm honest. Okay. So you were getting paid. For your yeah, work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I was going to say, like, my first question was, what is a growth consultancy? Right. But I think we've answered that. that yeah. That is you as yourself coming into companies whether that's people that you know friend of a friend or whatever basically saying i'm on a campus campus has lots of people let me help you please yeah yeah no i i think very simply put you're right like i think um there's this huge concept of like network effects yeah yeah. and i think so many companies are so keen to build a product that's so good Mm. that um that people sort of naturally refer it all that sort of stuff Mm. campuses and universities are like absolutely perfect ideal environments for that right you spend all day talking to each other about what you're up to yeah um and like naturally getting those things to spiral and you know sort of people to download them and use them it's it's a great environment for that to happen if that makes sense like things spread very quickly i think if you just look at where facebook started it's a cliche example right but that was able to spread so quickly partly because of the environment it was in yeah i thought about this before as well like universities are very unique in, in the fact that nowhere else really will you get so many people exactly the same in such a concise space yeah and that's why it can spread so quickly yeah, yeah 100% yeah, that you get that uptake just so quickly yeah as so soon as some people some groups kind of start using it and that just spreads yeah so, yeah. so easily but I think there's another debate right I remember thinking this at the time um, there's this debate of I spoke to people that their opinion is if your product's great, you shouldn't need to market it, right? I kind of disagree with that, but but their concept is, you know, if you guys know any friends that are part of you know, student ambassador campaigns or anything like that, and Spotify have big ones, those sorts of things, right? Um, 
I've made the argument that some of these products are so good, you shouldn't be paying and referring people to use them. Mm. They're so good, people should naturally just yeah. be chatting about them, right? So that's another angle, something I was thinking about at the time. Yeah. Um, am I actually helping these people? Should they be paying for this thing? Um, but yeah, that's no, interesting. Seems like a long time ago. Yeah. No, there is, there is a lot of those um, sort of brand reps and stuff on campus. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's hard perhaps hard to stand out because you see them all the time they sort of, it seems like a bit of a bother unless they're offering you something real of real value um it's like oh you're being paid you're doing part-time work basically. yeah 100% 100% I think everyone sees it as part-time work as well on campus really there are very few campus ambassadors that get away with doing a good job but not really telling anyone they're a campus ambassador because they're sort of the products doing the job for them that sort yeah. of thing um no, I, I, yeah. you, you're, you're spot on. I think, what's, I think what's interesting about this, right, I kind of found that the best best people were the people that didn't see it as an ambassador job. They saw it as an opportunity for them to do something really exciting. So if I rewind to, to myself and Nick, who I started this with, we started off as brand ambassadors mm. for this company. And we could have very easily just stuck with that and, you know, the referrals paid well. We can, you know, have some posts on Facebook, whatever it was. Yeah. But we were like, hang on, there's actually some opportunity here for us to benefit ourselves more than, than just this. Um, you know, why don't we put together some more thoughts on what else they could be doing outside of, you know, the two of us? Yeah. Um, how are they thinking about targeting different universities? All these sorts of questions. And I suppose only with that mindset of like, hang on, what else can we get out of this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did we end up? in San Francisco for a week in Silicon Valley, um, like an experience that I think was very contributory to, to sort of who I am now in my career, if that makes sense. Just that attitude of, like, what else can I get out of this? Yeah, that's awesome. Can you tell us about the um, that experience in Silicon Valley? What, yeah, what, you did? what did you, What did they ask you to do? Well, what didn't we do? <laughs> uh, it, no, it, was, it was a wicked experience. So we were only out there for about two weeks, I think. Um, but I think that phrase I just used of like what else can I get out of this is something everyone in that community is thinking people are opportunistic and I think that term often has maybe a negative connotation someone that sees opportunities but but, but I don't think it is I think it's you know what what are the facts right now where am I and how can I make the best of this scenario um but to answer your question so we were in their office for, for a week for a week two weeks um, but Nick and I sort of made it our mission to meet as many people as we could. So literally, oh God, we must have, we, I probably had about six or seven coffees a day. Because <laughs> that's kind of all well, Yeah, I still haven't recovered really. <laughs> it's about three years. It's still going. It's still going. <laughs> it's still going. But um, I think um, on that actually, sorry, it's not, it's not slightly off your question, but I think I learned a lot about having coffee with someone. Mm. It sounds silly, but you know, so often, that's such a classic thing. Oh, come have a coffee. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. Right? And I find so many of those opportunities, I think, are so easily wasted by just like little chit-chat. Mm. And I suppose on this end of the scale, on that far left-hand side, you don't want to be, you know, completely right. What's in it for you? What's in it Down for me? Business, Down like, to business. Yeah, yeah. But also, I think a lot of people make the mistake of, of rather doing that or going too chit-chatty. Yeah. And actually not thinking, right, what's the actual output of this conversation rather yeah. than just a chit-chat and you leave it? Yeah. Well, I was talking about this the other day, weren't we? I can't remember if it was actually on the show or if it was just privately, but actually saying how much doing a podcast and how many episodes we're, we're in now, it's not that many, has actually contributed to my kind of 
sense of asking a question and actually thinking about what I'm going to say, what do I want the other person to either say or talk about, and I can I do that quickly? Because we've only got 50 minutes, an hour, or whatever, yeah. and try and you know, get yeah. what I want. hundred percent. And I think one of the most underrated questions in the world is, tell me a little bit more about that. Right? <laughs> it yeah. sounds silly, but so often people are on surface level, yeah. surface level sort of style. Just say, oh, go on, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. I guess people are quick to agree as well and just say, yeah, and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. And rather than saying, actually, I don't really understand, or I want to know yeah. more, like, dig a bit deeper. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. And people like talking about something that relates to them, don't they? Whether it's job, kind of personal life, whatever. Most of the time, if you ask somebody something, they'll just talk. And, I mean, that's essentially the whole podcast movie, <laughs> isn't it? The whole thing. You're undermining your own principle. <laughs> no, no, but no, of, of course, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think... Um, one of the dangers of those, you know, these short snippet conversations, I'm not talking about this podcast, I'm talking about these coffees, is you see everyone else's highlights mm. um, and you compare them to your own highlights. You, you go away feeling a bit, that person's really killing it, I need mm. to up my game. Not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, in a 20-minute conversation, you write people are talking about themselves. If you ask them a question, they're going to tell you the best things that happened. Yeah. They're not necessarily going to tell you the below-the-line view of, you know what, that was actually horrible. That was a really mm. stressful experience. So people often go away from those conversations, I think, thinking, oh, the world is like my oyster. I'm going to absolutely crack on with yeah. it. And it might be a bit of a controversial point for me, but I think try and consider what they would have said if you'd had two hours with them. So talking about snippets and summarising things quickly, let's talk about the grapevine. Mm. So that, you mentioned it already, that's kind of a, a newsletter sort of thing. Can you just, is that right? Yeah, yeah, spot on. And so this was, so when, when did you set this up chronologically? This was after you, was it when you were at Starling? Yeah, 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 I think it was when I was at Starling. So it came about quite organically, to be honest. So um, again, me and a friend, absolute nerds, would like get together over a coffee and just like chat about technology. Um, and we ended up just, saying, hey, you know, he was sending me a bunch of links for things. I had a day off work, that was it. I had a day off work and I was bored. And as a joke, he was like, here's some reading material, sent me like yeah. 10 links for things. <laughs> I was like, I was actually kind of helpful. Um, so he was like, hang on, I've, I think there was a, there's a bunch of newsletters in the States that do similar things. Um, so he was like, hang on, why don't we just send out an email to sort of 25 people with 10 interesting things we've read recently, mm. see if it's useful for anyone. So I suppose that evolved into pretty much exactly what it is today, which is a really short, snappy newsletter that just gives you the 10 technology or startup stories you need to know in an 100-second read. So for us, that's slightly more content than a headline, mm-hmm. but slightly less content than a, than a full paragraph, right? Um, it's a summarized view of what's happened, a fact and an insight in a sentence. And we do that 10 times a week. Um, 10 times a week? Sorry, 10 stories once a week, that's yeah, the one. Cool. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah, but, that's um, but yeah, no, it, it's going well. Again, a little bit of a hobby, do it when we find time. There's about 12,000 subscribers to the mailing list. Um, and, you know, open rate, open rate's pretty good. We're pretty proud of that. Up at sort of 7,000, just over per edition uh, we send out. And I guess it's that conciseness that drives the open rate, right? Because they know that when they click on it, they know what to expect. They know it's going to be a short time out of their day. I get so many emails from people and I know it's going to be a massive thing and I'm like, yeah, I'd be there. Yeah. No, no, uh, exactly. And I think with um, 
would have thought it, it, it's a problem that everyone has like there's so much going on um, so I suppose for us a contributor to the open rate is I think people trust our sense of these are the things you should know yeah there's a thousand stories that you could look at this week um, we're making a judgment call and saying we reckon to you these are the 10 interesting slash relevant ones and our open rate is a, is a factor of us making that decision correctly. <laughs> if that makes sense, if we start producing content, it's boring, people won't. No, well, that's what people want in that kind of digest, isn't it? it it's, it's a reduced friction between them opening it and actually reading it and finding out what they need to know. Yeah. If you can make that shorter time, you can make that easier to do, you get more people opening. How much, you know, I suppose question to you guys, how long, these are about an hour, right? Yeah, Run about 14 yeah. minutes to an hour. Yeah. Cool, so... How much extra value do you think it gives people by being 40 minutes rather than four minutes? Rather than four. Yeah. This is an interesting, because this is a, like your Fintech, isn't it? No, we'll it's come coming back to me. <laughs> no, I'll change that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, That's a good point. Um, I don't know. I think we could probably condense a lot into four minutes still if we were to change the format and say, right, we're going to do four minute episodes. We're going to do cram. Like, but I think similar to what you just said about the coffee thing, I think you stay a lot on the surface level. Whereas what I find, well, like my opinion, it's not really for me to say, it's people listening to say, but I would say that the more valuable stuff, the kind of tidbits, the nice kind of rounded parts come towards the end because of the context that comes before. Yeah, my answer to that would be like, you creating the grapevine, you basically, you have access to so much content on the internet, there's so much and then you basically filter through all the rubbish and give you the awesome stories. I think in this context, we we invite a guest on like yourself. We basically we need to create that spectrum of content, yeah. and then the filter, like the sound bites, the social media posts, the quotes. They are the, that's the grapevine bit essentially that we're filtering through. So we, in my opinion, I might be wrong. We need to have those conversations to get the yeah. the key bits. I think I think you both are completely right. So I think. Um, you know, if people want an inspirational soundbite, right, they probably aren't coming to you guys. But but do you really want to impact the group of people that want an inspirational soundbite? Or are the group of people you're probably going to have most impact on the people that are actually looking to develop themselves personally? And those are going to be the people that listen to this for 50 minutes. Exactly, yeah. No, that's it, exactly. Like, I always... <laughs> I have a little folder on my phone of Instagram posts that come up, whether they're sponsored or from somebody else, yeah. that I just don't agree with, that are like personal development <laughs> and motivational. I always screenshot. I, 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 no, I do exactly the same, right? I show all these things, I'm like, that's just not, that's bad advice. Yeah. That is bad <laughs> advice. And by giving it in a sentence <laughs> and having it sponsored content, oh, yeah, I completely agree. Send me that folder. We'll create a Google Drive and we'll yeah. all pop stuff in. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, do, we'll do a 2% grade fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on that though, I think yes. that's a good segue into your view or your initial reaction to the two percent concept. Because mm-hmm. something something you messaged me about, and we haven't really spoke about it with many guests, is this two percent concept. And yeah. I know you was a little when you first heard it, you was a little bit wary, right, mm. about about the theme and the idea. So, what was your first reaction? So, I, I mean, long story short, I love it. I think it's wicked. Um, so I read, the, I read the kind of blurb and I love this concept about, you know, two in every 100 people are exceptional and you want to pull in those two and get them in front of a large audience. Whether I'm one of those two people is another question, but um, I think the concept's wicked. 
I think the thing I messaged you about, and this might just be because I was I sort of studied politics at university, and this idea of the one percent. Mm. That's a, oh the, the elite the one percent. I think it's got a negative connotation, but I think what's I think the real question here is it, it, it's difficult because I suppose are you going are you saying like we're pulling out the best insights from this two percent and we're giving it to the you know the other two percent of people or we're helping you shift into the two percent or do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I I, I think it's a mixture. Um, I think we're very much wanting to talk to people who are in that 2% bracket of people who are living their lives to the fullest and who are sort of freed from whatever barriers everyone else seems to be held back by and try and provide that to everyone else to say, hold on, why is it 2%? This number should be much, much bigger. Mm, That's cool. Um, But I think there's also an element of there, there is that negative connotation around it because it's like well hold on is it really two percent right i'm living my life but actually if you break it down majority majority of people just aren't because of one reason or another um i mean don't get me wrong concept unbelievable i think it's wicked um you know something i one of my failings something i'm very bad at is potentially i I think i shoot to be in the two percent of too many things Mm. And by doing that, I don't. I end up in the hundred <laughs> percent, right? And, and um, let me think of an example. So, so I'd love to be one of those people that reads like a book a week. I'd love to be. And occasionally, I see one of these inspirational quotes on Instagram. Mm. And I go, "Wicked! I want to do that." Yeah. Or I hear, you know, Bill Gates does it. Oh, whatever. Right. Oh, sounds great. I'm going to do that. And I give it a go, and I hate it. And I think, oh, I don't have enough time for this. And as a result, mm. I don't do it at all. Right, so one of the things that'd be interesting, you want to shift people into this two percent, I suppose, but also how do you just get people from the fiftieth percent down to the forty eighth, mm. right? Because is there something you could do now, right now, to push people in the right direction? It doesn't have to be a huge jump. I don't know, just a thought. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the difference for me is is like is what we're identifying as the two percent. So. It's not like the 2% wealthiest, it's not the 2% most successful, but based on the Andy Pope, who was like, where we learned it from, this type theory, it's sort of characteristics that just enable you to to live up to your potential. Whether you're a school child, a bin man, a CEO, having these values of sort of pushing yourself out mm. of your comfort zone, yeah. um, being positive, embracing new yeah. opportunities, anybody can do that. What we're trying to say is probably only two percent people actually do that. Mm. I'd say the, the only contradiction that I would say is a fair point if someone came back to me and said, "Well, if a top banker or a top CEO came to you, you would never say no." Mm. And I would agree. That's my only thought right now. Like, if I saw them on LinkedIn, a CEO came to me, I would always say yes at this minute like, yeah. to come on the podcast. Yeah, I think because I was thinking about that exact thing the other day, but I think. It's, it is hard because you can only go by that sort of surface level. Yeah. What's your LinkedIn profile? What are other people saying about you? Mm-hmm. And that's the impression you get. Yeah. And so you're not in the 2% of people by your job title or by your status or whatever. That's yeah. not how it works. It's very much a, a thing that is applicable across everyone. And that's what I love about, about it as a concept. Yeah, no, um, I... I, I... I, completely I, see where, I see where you're coming from. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, 
I think one one of the biases you might accidentally find is, and it's and it great because you want interesting, loud, charismatic, well, loud, but you want interesting, charismatic people mm. on this podcast. But you know, there are probably people who are, in my opinion, in what I deem to be the 2%, that um, their personalities are not inclined that way. They're super analytical, mm. very deep thinkers, but they might not be the most articulate when a question's pinged to them across the room. Mm. Sure, yeah. So um, is there anything you could do outside of a podcast format that would give those people some light? I don't know. So I'm... No, it's a good question. Uh, my response would be, I think we would want to keep it within a podcast format as that is our kind of main pillar of content. But maybe when we're contacting this person, we give them, you know, three weeks to prepare instead of a week or however we kind of are running. Yeah, it's very moment, short. Do you know what I mean? So at the moment, we're kind of running week to week, kind of two weeks in advance, which, you know, that's fine. Um, but somebody who would be kind of fit in that packet, I would say, you know, they're going to need a bit more time to be able to articulate what they want to say or we kind of do a shorter podcast if they've got a shorter attention span but they're still killing it because they're good at this yeah. thing or I don't know we go and we, we chat to them while they're painting and then we go to film, film, film us paint, cool. listening to them paint I mean like paint and, you know. whatever happens this is, this is an awesome initiative um, so you're doing a very good job yeah, let's let's move on now. That's all right. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, the yeah, word yeah. association game. Oh, <laughs> Classic reaction. Okay, you ready? The word yeah, go on then. Go on then. <laughs> Content. Now. Motivation. Better. Reading. Long. Movement. Kinetic. Difference. Different. Presence. Now. Customer. Everything. Time. Short. Failure. Regular. And mindfulness. Underappreciated. Amazing. Thank you. How were those? Yeah, it was good. good. I'm surprised myself. Uh, first one that stands out to me as someone that spends a lot of time looking at businesses and entrepreneurship and stuff customer everything yep just explain explain your thoughts there yeah yeah I think so So, for me I'm obsessed with this concept of customer centricity I know that's a bit of a cliche but I'll tell you why so I think if, if you ask every business in the world how customer centric are you the answer will be, oh, we're very customer-centric, right? And and then you really break it down, and behind the scenes, they're not, and they're not trying to be. And this is not a reflection on anyone essential works with, of course, but let's take financial services as an example, right? Um, CEOs have a super, super tough job, or senior people in, 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 these, in these companies, because... What's happening is they're accountable. They're not accountable for customer experience, right? They're accountable for share price. They're accountable for revenues and profits. Mm-hmm. And there's a few companies that have a great job at tying those things together. Amazon's an example. But Amazon's business model is structured in a way that specifically means its revenue is tied to its customer centricity. It's, whole, it's built around that concept. Yeah. People come back. It, it's really difficult to tell that story to someone very senior, which is trust us in the long run if your customer experience is better, you'll make money. It's really difficult to paint that story 
but I, I just fundamentally believe it. And again, I'm, I'm using financial services as an example, just it's something I know better. But we live in this world, right, where I could order us an Uber. It could be here in four minutes. It could take us to the other side of town. And there could be a you know Uber Eats waiting for us on the other end. Mm. And while I was in the Uber, I could press a button and Amazon Prime would give us ice cream in 35 minutes. But my bank balance doesn't update for three days, right? Yes. I, I don't know how much money I have in my account. Um, and the delta between those two things, I think for me, tells a, a really interesting story. Is that on purpose, do you think, that we're not, we don't have that clear visibility of our, our spending yet? No, I don't think it is. I, th- I think um, that's certainly improved, that example I gave. Yeah. Certainly improved over the last three years. But um, I think it's a, it's a question of, you know, there's, there's a long, boring answer to that in terms of there's a, lot, there's a bunch of constraints mm-hmm. some of those banks have, reasons mm-hmm. they can't do that, or it's tricky to do that. But, but essentially, it's where do, where do your priorities lie? And I think if, as a company, you fundamentally believe that like customer experience is the most important thing, um, you can fix those problems, right? Um, so I've got... the, the taxi example is perfect as well, the Uber example, mm. because I, for the first time, like, I can't remember the last time I got a normal taxi in London. Yeah. Uh, I got a London cab the other day, just because I was in a rush and one was going by, so I flagged him down. I got in the car and I said, um, I don't really know the, the name of the place, but I've got your postcode. Yeah. Uh, and like, obviously in Uber, we tap in a postcode yeah. and bang, it's done. And, uh, he spent the next 20 minute journey lecturing me why I should know the roads that I was going down and I should tell him the place that we were going and, and why postcodes aren't useful. And I was thinking this is exactly and more the reason why this industry is being disrupted, like in terms of yeah. customer centricity. So I have a prop B in my bonnet about taxis. You could not be more right. Um, I, I, I couldn't agree more. So. I think there's, especially with, with taxi drivers, right, there's a few things which, which are crazy. And the reason that if that business does not change, it will die. Those, that black cab industry will die if it does not change, right? And for me, that customer centricity angle is one of the reasons, right? So I think there's the A, this narrative of like, oh, Uber are taking our jobs. Yeah. Why do you think they're doing that? Customers are choosing to make that decision, right? That's what's happening. And there's a bunch of reasons customers are choosing to make that decision, a bunch of variables, but the ultimate one is it's cheaper and it's better. Simple. And if you can't change to try and compete with that, you will die as an industry. And there are simple things like they've just, so, so now you're meant to be able to make uh, contactless, uh, you're not meant to be able to make car payments and all black cabs. Yeah. I would say one in three, four black cabs I get in. They tell me, and this is nothing against black cab drivers, if anyone's listening, <laughs> they will say the card machine does not work. And every time I will protest and say I've only got card and the card machine will magically work. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, this has happened to me five, six, seven, eight, nine times, right? And that is just a classic example of incrementally that business is going to go. So just resistance to change, as in they want to carry cash and they don't want to use the car machine? Is that what you think? Yeah, yeah partly. I suppose there's, a, there's, again, a long, boring answer about they get a fee charged. Yeah, yeah. Because they'd rather take cash. But it, it, it's this crux of not understanding that they have a competitor. Yeah. And the competitor, in my opinion, is better than them. They're going to win. In, in almost every way. And then it's great. How are you going to change to try and 
combat or at least hit parity with that competitor. Mm. And fair enough, there are some things going on. Get taxi, I think there's some there's some partnership there. But but that's I use that example and I was so excited when you mentioned that, because that is a great example of you need to do something to meet parity on that experience. You you've got to. Um, otherwise you will die as a business you will go um, as you can see I think a lot about taxis well calm down now <laughs> I'll just come back on that with content now and failure regular I think it's, it's good to continue that train of thought with it's almost common knowledge or at least to me I mean I'm a, I'm a business undergraduate you're a, you're a analyst at uh, one of the top consulting firms in, in the world so maybe it's not but com- customer centricity works and it makes you money failure works if you repeat it you improve you make you make more money if you're more adaptive and more um responsive to what's going on in terms of content be that on social media be that what you're whatever you get more engagement because it's happening now so why don't people do these things? So like you mentioned exactly there with customer centricity, um, content on social media, you see it all the time, people posting either the same thing lots and lots of times, that's what I, I tend to see in my job, or people posting about something that happened lots and lots of, you know, so it's not relevant, but actually you should have posted about it at the time. Yeah. And the same failure, it's like there seems to be very much a resistance to failure and maybe it's linked just because it's purely linked to revenues and profits and yeah. just the bottom line and in terms of how you accounted for that well yeah. if you fail then it, you haven't got a kind of return on that investment in the short term but I just think because I look at that and I think well you know we just need to do it's these obvious. things it's obvious yeah, yeah. but I don't think it is to everyone that is a, that's, a, that's a really interesting point and question so I, I, I think about this a lot so I'll come back to the failure point. Mm. But on the, again, the customer experience, well, I'll come back to as well because we, we've kind of touched on that. But I think with that content thing, right? So my belief is that I think personal brand is still something that's very undervalued. And, and a framework I try and use to make a lot of decisions is called regret minimization framework. So imagine looking back on the decision you've made would you under what circumstances do you think you'd regret that decision? Mm. And if you apply that, it makes things really clear. So from a content point of view, right? Um, one of the things I think people people know me for, at least to, to a small extent, is I've got a, a sort of small, medium-sized following on LinkedIn, so I get about one hundred twenty-five thousand views on my content a week on there, right? And I, I come across people all the time. They go, "Oh my god, you do all these posts." I've brought you three, four a week. It's not crazy. But my question to them is, why would you not do a post? Mm. Do you think you will regret? Sit at the end of the day, or sit back and go, oh, you know, I should not have done. <laughs> I should not have posted on LinkedIn. That was an error. That was a big mistake, right? No, you won't do that. <laughs> so if we then say that you're not going to regret it, and we can also assign a number of benefits to it, I don't understand why you wouldn't. I do not understand why there are so many positives of just posting engaging content on LinkedIn. I don't think it's time consuming, but yes, I think people still don't do it. And that's a really good question. I don't know why, but I think it's the slight fear of why would I rather than why don't yeah. I? Sorry, 
I have something to add. Just like even for my own personal interest, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I don't post much on yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. And um, like you said, I fully get your point. I'd say I I perhaps am scared of regretting posting on LinkedIn. Mm. And I guess part of that for me is um, maybe a bit of anxiety about like it's a huge network of all professional people. Mm. And um, I guess with your your posts are just summarising, you can't really like disagree with, hey, Monzo have released this new feature. Yeah. If it's giving your opinion on something or showcasing what you've done, I don't know, is, is there the possibility that you could, well, for me anyway, there's a possibility that you could regret posting something and you're thinking actually that didn't quite represent me in the right way mm. uh this has caused some sort of disagreement yeah, yeah. Uh, not that i'm a very no, conflicted no, no, person no, but yeah no. i don't know that's my sort that, of that, that's a very fair challenge and i suppose i should have put an answer of asterisk at the front of that it's a great point i think if you're posting hugely opinionated content a lot of the time there's potential routes to regret right mm. someone you might be trying to impress or please or someone you know important to your career or your life might really strongly disagree with it. So that's a fair point. I think if you're, if you're doing things very opinionating, very opinionatedly, yeah. um, you might divide some opinions, potential regrets there. But, but I think a lot of branding can come from just being insightful and asking good questions. I very rarely give opinions on LinkedIn posts. Again, I summarise, I try and pull out fact or insight and I ask some good questions. People normally respond to it. Um, but yes, your point your point's very fair. I think it's a gr- another great point you made there about this anxiety thing. Mm. Absolutely a thing. Absolutely a thing. Um, but but I think, again, if you really try and break it down, what are you anxious about? And I know I can, I can, I'm not someone that feels this naturally, so I can't really empathise with it. But I can kind of imagine this idea of, hang on, what happens if you know this goes wrong? Yeah. If you really break it down... In a meeting, you know, you're trying to provide a good impression of yourself. Technically, me here on this podcast, I'm trying to provide a good impression of myself. People are trying to do it all the time. Yeah. A, a post on LinkedIn is a really structured way of doing that. You've got time to sit there, digest mm. it, construct your words, read through it. Um, and you're less at risk, in my opinion, of doing that. But, but, but I do completely understand that I can imagine that feeling. Yeah. And how I try and do that is, uh, again, what I think to be quite a common piece of knowledge, of knowledge just because I've read it so many times, but again, I don't think it's something that is adopted, is ask why seven times. Um, tell me about that. Sounds interesting. What's that? So, there's that question. There we go. Tell me um, so I think it was probably Tim Ferriss or somebody along that line who first, who I first heard it from. It's essentially when you're approaching a decision, something that you might regret, something you're anxious about, something that's important to you have responsibility over something. Ask why you're doing it seven times to see if it's the right thing to do. Mm. If you feel you might regret it and you're thinking one way or the other, ask why you're doing it seven times. So if you're writing an article on LinkedIn and you're not sure if it reflects your opinion or you're not sure if it's right or not, if you ask yourself first, why am I writing this article? Because I I want to increase my LinkedIn awareness. Okay, why am I writing this article about Monzo's new feature? Because I want to be shown to, and I I am interested in the fintech space. Why this particular bank? Um, Because I once partnered with Monzo, blah, blah, blah. So it has that personal affinity. Why this particular feature? Because it's brand new. It shows I'm interested in innovation. Five, like you can keep going. You see that train of thought, break it down. And so that actually, if you were originally nervous about that, you asked yourself, why? Mm. And you talk to yourself around to why you initially thought about it in the first place, yeah. which was, 
because I want to do it. And, right? it's like, yeah. and so you almost talk yourself out of that initial anxiety. So when I do that, 90% of the time, I just end up doing whatever it is anyway. Yeah. I very uh, rarely go back on uh, that. And scene. I think you're, you're probably similar to me in you. And you're, you're kind of able to rationalise these things. Mm, and you're, able to, make, you're yeah. able to make very logical decisions about it. But some people's brains just think very differently. And mm. I suppose a lot of decisions in my life I struggle to think about logically. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of people, there's just a, there's an empathy there about it. Mm. There's an emotional reaction. And that's, you know, as logical as you can make it, it's really hard to overcome that feeling when that happens. Yeah. And talking about logic, I loved that you said kinetic to movement as well. Well, that's nerdy. It's, it's, like, it's like, what a translation that is. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of that one. <laughs> the very final one I want to pick yeah, up on, because um, we're in uh, Mental Health Awareness Week this week. Yes. So, which is why I threw in mindfulness at the end. Yeah. Um, and you said underappreciated. So, yeah. is mindfulness something you'll pra- you practice or just aware of? And why did you think it's an underappreciated? I mean, that's that's something I'm bad at. Um, something I'm trying to work on. It, it is, is is mindfulness. So, I suppose. One of the reasons I'm very bad at podcasts, I like drawing things, and I can't come across the podcast. But imagine a sort of Venn diagram, right? I, I, I think, I think what's exciting about this is you've got, you know, your financial health, your physical health, and then your mental health. And I think these three things come together to, to, to make you a really great person or a really happy person. And I think, you know, physical health is this huge industry, yeah. and everyone's so aware that physical health is important. You know. There's thousands of companies that focus on physical health and billions and billions of pounds people spend on it and, and you know, mental capacity thinking about going to the gym, eating healthy. Financial health becoming more of a thing. There's, you know, personal financial management apps out there. You know, people are more aware of, you know, credit score. Great. Mental health is really, unfortunately, I think, lacking behind a little bit. And that's why things like this week are great. But um, I don't see any reason why it's less important than physical health. Um, so I think, you know, in order to be super, super happy, you've really got to nail all those, yeah. all those little circles. And I think the one that's most underappreciated is that mental health one, which I suppose is where mindfulness comes in. Yeah, sure. Okay. So you were thinking more from the not just mindfulness as a practice being underappreciated, but the whole awareness of mental health and, and building that, right? I think so. I think so. Um, I'm no, I'm no sort of major authority on it at all, but I suppose just from my perspective, it wasn't something I gave a lot of thought to until, you know, about two years ago. And Accenture is super, super good and yeah. super hot on mental health, which is which is wicked. Um, so I think, you know, it's partly an employer thing to push this because we spend so much of our lives working. Naturally, a lot of distress or, you know, anxiety is going to come from work. Yeah. But yes, to answer your question, yes. Cool. So yeah, let's let's talk about. So you mentioned you do a lot of work on fintech, and, and that is your yeah. personal brand, really, on LinkedIn. That's how I came across you. That's how I sort of I introduced myself to you. Um, why are you building a personal brand in that space? Why why does it interest you, and, and why is it important for everyone in their daily lives? That's that's a bunch of really cool questions. Sorry, is that too many? No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a cool, it's a cool question. So I suppose why that space? Yeah. Why that space? So I think there's a few things. One was that, that kind of concept I, I mentioned earlier over, you know, technology has improved our lives in so many ways. You know, look to Amazon, look to Spotify, look to Uber, look to Nike ID. 
look at all these ways technologies has done so much for our lives. And then I transitioned the thinking over to financial services and it has not helped my life in the same way. I think technology is at the moment currently incredibly underutilized to solve some problems in financial services. Something that's exciting. Number two, this is difficult to quantify, but I just think the scale of the problem is so big. I find it just fascinating. Um, banking and financial services is an enormous part of society. And not just that, but it's an incredibly profitable part of society, right? And still, there are some humongous problems that haven't been solved, right? At just a macro level. And, you know, simple stuff. Saving money is really difficult. It's really difficult for loads of people. And, you know, when you do start to save, investing that is something people don't do. Um, and again, you know, we went back, uh, this Venn diagram thing I kind of drew in my head. Physical health, billion, trillion dollar industry, loads of money being pumped into how you can improve your, you know, physical health, gym memberships, clothing brands, all this stuff, right? Mental health, we spoke about, but financial health, it, it, it's still a huge part of it. And in fact, really a function of mental health, I suppose. But it's such a big opportunity to A, solve a lot of these customer problems and B, create some real value for companies when doing it. Um, so I'm very lucky in the thing, in the nature of the thing I'm really excited about is I think something I know quite a bit about and also something that's a very profitable thing to know a lot about, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what is your sort of ultimate goal and ambition in, to get to in the space? Is it... Um... Is it down an entrepreneurial route? Is it down building a career in, in an expertise in FS? What is it? Again, another good question. Uh, again, to be honest, I don't have it super clearly set out. Um, I tend to think of things in, in terms of is what I'm doing pushing me further towards the general direction I want to go in? Yeah. I found at any point in my life I've tried to make a plan, two weeks later it changes, <laughs> right? And I don't know whether that's really poor planning for me. Or, or, or if it's the second thing, which is, I think things move so fast and new bits of information, opportunities come to me so often. I, I need to be... Um, so my old, my old CEO at Tilt used this expression, I think he borrowed it from someone else, which is you've got to be very fixed and very rigid about the long-term goal you have and very flexible about how you get there. And I haven't figured out that very rigid about that that long term thing. I've got a, kind of a few options of which I can kind of point towards, but I think the things I'm doing are pushing me in the right direction, and I'll be very flexible around those opportunities. No, I, I think that's a good answer because I think, <clears throat> and I actually wrote an article about this on LinkedIn. Oh, no way. Um, people tend to think that they need that kind of. I know what I'm doing every single day to get to where I'm going. Yeah. But actually, as long as you know what you're doing every day, you enjoy, and is taking you towards something that could potentially be some kind of end goal. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fine and yeah. justifiable. And I think, in the context of university and kind of where I'm at, and you're further along in this process, you probably have good insight. Actually, what I think now about what I want to do is going to be completely different to what I think in five years and so how on earth am I going to have any idea where I want to be in 30 or 20 so I think and, that's, and that's scary right yeah if you start to think of things in terms of 20 year time intervals 
you really expand, expand a lot of mental capacity going it's stressful what if what if what exactly. if and am I doing something now that can hinder that and that's when that's when I start to get clogged up and go am I making the right decision yeah. now um, so I think this approach of am I moving in the right direction it is, is a good one yeah for me no I completely agree I mean one of the most inspirational people I've ever met was our expedition leader when we went to Costa Rica with World Challenge mm. sense of fundraising yeah um, World Challenge expedition. Awesome. loads of my friends did it um, and he only trained to be an outdoor expedition leader when he was like 35 yeah and he was like 45 something like that when he came with us mm. and he was just the craziest guy you'd ever meet one of the most laid back people but you could just see when you spoke to him, you felt this guy's home, like his family's kind of calling, whatever. But he used to be like a teacher or kind of, I don't know, I can't remember what he used to be, but something completely different. Yeah. You know, my maths teacher trained in German first and then trained in maths. And like the path that you get to where you're going can be so variable and different. 100%. It, it's such, you know, where am I going to end up? It's such a tough question. And I think one people spend so much time worrying about. Yeah. And I think, you know, places like LinkedIn and places like Instagram and Facebook are not necessarily helpful for that. Not necessarily helpful for that at all. And I think we've, we've chatted about it a couple of times already, but that surface level mm. is what people get. On Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn even, on someone's profile, you're getting their highlights, right? You are getting their highlights. And... From those highlights, you can quite easily aspire to be that person. Oh my goodness, look what they've done. Mm. Amazing, incredible, incredible. I'd love to do that. Um, but you're not getting that below the line version. Um, which is which is those, you know, pivots and decisions they've had to make to get there. Um, so it's a fascinating question and one like I think about a lot um, and haven't really cemented my thinking on. I, I have friends that have a very clear idea of what they want to do. And, and I really respect that in terms of fields like medicine, mm. right? Or they say, you know what, I'm super, super passionate about this charity initiative. And I want to spend my life. That is amazing. That is wicked. I think most people don't have that, yeah. uh, that, that kind of luck, right? And I'm very lucky in the sense I, I've got a big portion of that. I want to do something in financial services to do with technology and customer experiences. I'm very lucky I've got that clarity. And that is still huge. That is still massive. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough one. So, from your perspective then, as someone, again, like I said before, who's ahead of me and us in the process, but not too far away, do you still have that kind of comparison between people that you admire on LinkedIn? Because you have a significant following yourself, but you're not at a level where you're like a mad influencer kind yeah, of person. Yeah. So that sort of feeling that we're talking about, you still get that, right? That happens, that's still going to continue. I'm super guilty of it. Yeah. Myself, right? It's difficult not to be. Yeah. Um, because you make very snap judgments on what you think of people. Mm. And um, that grass is always greener idea. Yeah. You know, or, or, you know, they're very good at this. They're very, you know, it's very difficult to disassociate yourself from, that surface level view. Mm. So we've been we've talked about five or six times already, right? Very difficult to disassociate yourself from that. Um, so I'm guilty of it as well. I'm guilty of it as well. And that's in terms of people that have big followings. Mm. 
But I think more so than me, it's people I think are really good at their job. I come out of meetings with people often, and I'm just like, wow. Like, they are just really, really good at their job. Um, but, but, you know, there's a wider question here, which is, to what level is just knowing the surface stuff actually a bad thing? There's, of course, and let's talk about fitness, right? There's, of course, massive negative towards a lot of the fitness content that goes on because people body shame themselves, people mm. do the comparison, and, and that is terrible. And I think, but, but I think on the other end of the scale, if it inspires and motivates people, some, for some people, it's a positive thing. Um, yeah. <clears throat> this, is, this is a, I don't know if it's a problem I have, but it's an observation I've made, is that when people post things on LinkedIn or yes. when people have these views on um, con- motivational, inspirational content, there's always two sides of the coin. And like, there's people that will be inspired and motivated by it. Yeah. And they'll say, this is great. And then there'll always be other people that say, you shouldn't be doing this. It's promoting unrealistic standards. Like people can't live up to these routines, these bodies, etc. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a bit frustrating because they'll always it always creates debate rather than just either appreciating mm. the content for what it That's is. Great yeah. point. And I, and I see both angles to it, right? I completely see the angle which oh, this is this is interesting. So I completely see the angle which is like, you know, naturally by saying Elon Musk does this and lots of people want to be Elon Musk, lots of people some people will naturally want to follow that. But also, if that's their genuine routine and that's just something they do, hmm. I, I don't see an issue with, with, with them sharing it. Um so long as it's not dangerous or like, you know, some sort of super crazy unhealthy thing yeah but i think what's more interesting for me at least and and this is quite this is quite an unpopular opinion i think like this whole concept of like and i think tim ferris is awesome i really like tim ferris but i think this whole concept of this kind of secret formula to life that like this small group of people have and no one else (laughs) is aware of it I think is quite dangerous. And, uh, you know, this idea of here is this secret morning routine that if you do this, you are going to be super, super successful. And I know that's not always the framing of them. I know, you know, I've, I've seen content before, which is, hey, there's some small things you can do in the morning which may day a lot better. Great, I agree with that. But I think there is this slight danger of con- dangerous concept of this this kind of secret formula that these people have. Mm. Or, or people just make these blanket rules yeah. and they go, if you want to be successful, you've got to work 20 hours a day. Yeah. And you hear Gary Vee saying, I don't, if you don't work 20 hours a day, you'll, you mean nothing to me. Like you're not going to get anywhere. These blanket rules, I think are dangerous. Yeah. You know, whether the blanket rule is the same morning routine will work for everyone, whether this blanket rule is you need to work 20 hour weeks or whether... This blanket rule is the three top tips um, for every interview, right? There's different ways to yeah. phrase the line, but, but but at the end of the day, it's still these blanket rules, yeah. And and they're often opinion led. And I, I this is again something I thought about a lot, exactly based on this topic, and I think about it a lot is, is um the re the reason for that and the reason they do this is because that is what enables viral content they that's won't what people click on isn't it? that's what people want to hear they want to know the reason for success they want to know the top three rules like it's just so clickable and um if if they did a post about like 
this is the this is the best thing to do. But if you're in this situation or you have here are twelve caveats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would never get pick up. It would become a thesis in itself. It'd be on Google Scholar. Yeah, which is why it's an Instagram image with a quote, and everyone gives it a hundred percent. They they make it digestible. Yes, but but but, but you know, often the, this advice isn't necessarily bad advice. It doesn't necessarily have to be. It kind of, irrespective of whether it's good or bad advice, this concept of blanket rules, I, th- I think, is wrong. This kind of there these three things, well, mm. you know, top five, top three, whatever, however you frame it. I think it's just ultimately like, given g- given the information you have, are you making good decisions about things? I know that's a blanket rule in itself, right? <laughs> but, but but for me, that's that's a framework which is way more useful in any scenario. You know, you just think about, think things through, think about the variables and just think about the consequences of those decisions and just try and map it back um, than trying to come up with this top three to the list. It's not a true opinion, but it's my opinion. No, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's interesting because I love those sort of things as well and I, I would be kind of inclined to make them, but I, I do see what you're, see what no, you're saying. No, yeah, yeah. Um, and they can be very valuable. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the whole, the key to navigating the health and well-being and the personal development space is, to me, is always balance. Like the key, the key like telling thing is that like the number one health and well-being magazine going around London is called Balance. It's like take a bit of everything. And, and balance is balance is huge. Yeah. Um, and again, something I'm working on. It, it's just deciding what your individual balance of things is is important. And it's something it, I find difficult. If you do too much of anything, it's unhealthy. Yeah. Like you can read an article about the seven benefits of eating oranges and yeah. then you'll read another article oranges give you these cancer or whatever <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and there'll be that for every single yeah, food yeah, yeah. so yeah it's just 100%. a bit of everything very interesting but, um, something something you should watch really interesting I sent it to you I don't think you've watched it yet it's, um, <laughs> probably not <laughs> a documentary uh, on Netflix basically showing the dangers of too much personal development and being invested mm. in it too much and there was basically a personal development. He was like a self guru, you know, like Tony Robbins. Do you know Tony? Yeah, Robbins? yeah, yeah, Tony Robbins. So he was like that, like motivational speaker. I will show you how to give you your ultimate wealth and and this sort of thing. Yeah. And basically, what he did, so he was he was on the rise. He was competing with Tony Robbins, very successful. And then mm. he had these camps, which was like obsessed with pushing yourself out your comfort zone. And one of the things he did on this yeah. on this camp was they made um, a sweat lodge in a desert in America. Well, I mean, this is already yeah. sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's not good. They had, a, they had a tent in a desert, theming sun coming down. They put hot coals in the middle. Oh, my God. And then they chuck water on it to, like, increase the steam. Yeah. And it gets insanely hot. And he basically told these people, like, you will feel the like, worst you've ever felt. That you, When you come out, you'll feel like a new person. You, you'll feel like you've been reborn. And... Basically, they've done it before, but this one time they put too much water on or whatever it was, and people were like passing out and feeling bad. And people were trying to come out because they put so much trust in him. He was the guru. He said this would what would happen. He was like, "No, you'll be fine. You know, yeah, you know, push yourself out your comfort zone. You can do it. You're fine." Yeah. yeah. And then three three people died. Oh, yeah. Oh. And he went to prison. He went to prison. Was, yeah, I mean, it's that murder, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's cra- that's a cra- that's a crazy example. But but you're right. I, I'm not, not something I've ever thought about really before. But I think personal development maybe comes at a little bit of a 
detriment of kind of personal acceptance in that way. Again, one of these snippets of advice was best piece of advice I've ever been given on LinkedIn. Yeah. 10,000 likes. And it was like, at the, ask yourself this one question every week. And it was something like, what have I failed at this week? What have I failed to do? And like, I, I get the point of it. Wicked. It's a cool framework. But like, do you want to live your life with that as your framework? What have I failed at each week? And like for me, something I, something I sometimes do, which I think is a great thing, a little snippet of something is, uh, what's it called? It's got a term, right? Like gratitude. Login. Gratitude. Oh, log, yeah, gratitude. Yeah, yeah. For me, that's a little thing that like doesn't take long. It's just like an awesome little thing. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather have more of that stuff in my life than these big negative frameworks um, or this... I, I, I don't know. I just think there's some small things you can do which push you in the right direction that don't take you over the top. Yeah, no, it's good. That's nice. We haven't really... This is the most in-depth we've discussed like the personal and industry as a whole and it's mm. been quite good, I think. I yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. Um, sure, I think we should round up to the, the public questions now. We'll so, yeah, 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 so this is basically... We take um, one or two questions from like a Reddit... Uh, personal development forum yep. where people sort of just ask general questions yeah. and then a little concept we do is we basically ask each guest to leave a question for the next guest so so something that we'll ask you to do is leave a question for our next guest yeah um and we've got a question from will who is a he's a speed rubik's cuber so he competes in competitions oh, cool. yeah. so he's and he's um also this is rcm doing music so oh cool um, he was our last guest and he's left a question for you. But we'll, we'll jump straight in from the Reddit and there's a question from a user called uh, Fetid Shambler. Is being introverted something I should work on changing? No. No, 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 no. I think that's a great question. I think it's more like figure out who you are and then like just crack on with that and understand the benefits of that. I think... There are some benefits with building up your confidence a little bit more, right? 100%. But if you're a natural introvert, I think you're going to have to do a lot of work to make yourself some super extrovert, hyper-charismatic person. Yeah. I think if you're a natural introvert, you should you know, have two streams of thought. One which is, let me, let me put a little bit of effort into building my confidence up. But ultimately, like, you own that. Like, what? Just own your introvertedness. I mean, often for me, people I know that are introverts are really, really good at other things, mm -hmm. right? Um, often those are the people that are kind of hyper-analytical and actually listening and thinking through problems and the people you want to bring more into the conversation. This is what you were sort of talking about earlier, right? The people yeah. that you might not, that might go under the radar, but they've got super yeah. good skills. In uh, exactly. I think this is where stereotype becomes a problem as well. Like, there's that image of an introvert who can't public speak or who is just the shyest person ever mm. it's like well no it's not black and black and white we all are some introvert some extrovert we are all somewhere on that spectrum and just because you did a personality test last week <laughs> that you're yeah. an extrovert doesn't mean that you're not an introvert this week and that no. that can't change or that labels you as something like i think that label can be dangerous because although that's kind of your natural kind of energy level or where you draw your energy from or whatever, and there's an element of truth to that being unchangeable, actually, yeah, I don't know. That kind of labelling around it, I think, can be dangerous. Well, I think, yeah, 100%. If you've got, you know, use your concept of your podcast, 
get 100 introverts in a room, guarantee, um, and I know I've just used that blanket statement there again, 100 people that would typically be described guarantee you can find something they'd want to talk about all day. Yeah. Guaranteed. People, so, yeah. people are people, aren't they? And there's certain things, that are, if, there's certain questions you'd probably ask me I wouldn't want to talk about, right? Same with everyone. Yeah. It's just the degree of which that's the case. That's a good question. So the, the overall answer is is no, don't work on changing. No. no. Cool. Right. So the last question is from our guest uh, last week, Will yeah. Roberts. Um, and his question was, at what point does confidence become complacency? Just to give some context around that. Mm. So, you know, Will's a musician. We spoke in that episode about ego and how very talented musicians can often have kind of big egos, yeah. um, whether it's the same in your, in your kind of space, I'm not sure. But yeah, kind of around how confidence can get to that point of yeah you've earned that confidence yeah but actually now you're getting complacent and actually now maybe you're um a bit too egotistical or complacent yeah. in, in how you're treating other people it's a, it's a cool question so i suppose it, it, for, for me something that jumped to mind is this idea of fail to prepare prepare to fail mm. i think it's understanding what things you do need to prepare for and what things you don't need to prepare for. There are certain things I feel very confident about doing without preparation and I know I can do those every time and it's fine. But I think it's having that level of, right, this is important enough. I need to understand that, like, the benefit preparation has in this case. So, yeah, completely. You can definitely get to that point where you're so confident about something you put less input and less effort into it, going into it. Um, like that's the question, isn't it? I suppose where is that line? And, and, and if you're in that state of like hyper confidence, it's probably difficult to sit back and go, "This could go wrong." Mm. Um, I, I was thinking cool something question. that I was kind of hoping to get the answer for. I'm not saying you're going to have the answer. No, but, no. So, um, when he said the question was rather than like an individual task level, say you become, say you've reached so high in your career. And you become very confident in where you and what you're doing and your abilities that you no longer have that same sort of edge to push for the next opportunities. Uh, okay. And you sort of become complacent and a bit stale in your career. Yeah, that's that, That's a really interesting angle. So I suppose what you're saying is at some point you become so confident, you're not pushing for the next thing and you're not, you're not doing this whole self-development thing because you're like, I'm kind of killing this. Exactly, yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't thought about it like that. I suppose it's... Um, is that a bad thing? It might not be if you're, if you're happy. And... Yeah, maybe, maybe you only need to get so good at some things. Mm. Again, probably an unpopular thing to say on a, on a self-development podcast. But um, I suppose at some point, are you getting diminishing returns of learning on things like that? You know... And, and if, if you want to be a bit of a generalist, which is something that I'd, I'd like to be kind of moving forward, do I want to go kind of, hang on, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, so for me, for example, I think I'm pretty good at some of the, the, the analytics, data-driven stuff. And one of the things I think I'm less good at, ironically, is actually the kind of public speaking type thing. So where do I want to put my efforts? You know, and a unit of effort it's a really nerdy way of thinking about it. A unit of effort into that is going to gain me X. And I think mm. I'm already okay at that. Yeah, sure. Here's something I really want to work on. So I suppose uh, the question back is, you know, do you have this whole idea of I'm, like, I'm confident? Or are you confident on a task or a skill level? Because mm. you can be super confident. I'm 50 years old and see I've run 3,000 of these amazing things before. But you could say, I tell you what, if you put me in front of stage. That's, that's true, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm very, I feel very unconfident mm. in that situation. 
And I suppose that would be a fault if you were someone that was just confident in things. I'm confident in my ability to just do things well. And at that point, you probably were missing some things, probably had some blanks. Yeah. And just on the complacency point, um, I was recently reading Darren Brown's book, Happy. And one of the quotes that I remember from the end of that was, as you get more successful, it's more difficult to remember that the people around you aren't there to make your life easier. And he's obviously coming at that from a point of view of being kind of in showbiz and having personal assistants and people run his diary and, you know, CEOs have that in business as well. So, yeah, it's really interesting thinking about confidence as kind of an earned skill level. Yeah. But also thinking about, well, actually, have you got the humility to recognise everyone around you as well? It's a nice piece of self-reflection, isn't it? Yeah. We've uh, we've covered that question well, and uh, Mm. thanks for coming on, Will. Good question. Louis, our very final ask of you is to to leave a question for our next guest, please. Oh, he's going to have to give me a minute. He's going to have to give me a minute. Do you know who the next guest is? No. No, we never know. We never know. (laughs) (laughs) So, Louis? This is a wicked question, but whoever they are, he or she is going to have a real hard time with this one. So let me try and get the wording right. But a question I've seen, which I think is a super interesting one, is what is something you know to be true that almost everyone else would disagree with you on? What is something you know to be true that almost everyone else would disagree with you on? Okay. Because if well, you can if you can find an answer to that, you've got a really interesting thing to talk about. So um, that question, again for context, uh, originates from a venture capitalist called Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel was the first investor in Facebook. Um, he was a co-founder at PayPal. He was a co-founder and I think an investor in Palantir Technologies. He's one of the most successful investors of all time. But he is notoriously uh, what he calls contrarian something someone that has a lot of very unpopular opinions but kind of his rationale for that question is if you can find from an investment point of view something that everyone disagrees with you on but you know it's true you're onto a super winner with investments so an example for that he would he would say i know to be true but in 10 years time people are going to be very happy to pay a stranger to stay in their house not only that, strangely, they've just met on the internet. And everyone will go, that is crazy. No one is going to pay a stranger they've just met on the internet 200 quid and then go live in their house with them. Yeah. But he said, I know this is true, or I've got a real strong belief this is true. Mm. And uh, that makes a winning investment one. And I suppose you can apply the same thing with Facebook. I think in X years' time, there will be a site which will have your entire profile of your life on and people will organise events on it, people will share content about themselves online in front of millions of people, right? I know that to be true, but most people disagree with me about it on the t- at the time. Yeah. So that, that's why I think it's a wicked question. I, 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 I've struggled to find good answers for that. Mm, that's a great question. We're going to have a lot good of luck to the next <laughs> Good <laughs> luck. Good luck. But no, thank you very much. That's a wrap. And um, yeah, it's great. Thanks for coming out. Thanks, thanks so much, guys. Nice. Cheers. Well, that's it for another episode of the 2% Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch. Also, we're developing too. 
So if you liked the episode, give us some love on social to support the series. And if you didn't, let us know how to improve. Stay motivated, follow your dreams, and as always, do it with a smile. <laughs>